are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, it's a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. Thanks for listening and for subscribing. My name is Wes Goldberg, and I'm here as always with my co-host, David Ramil, and from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. We've got a great show today. We're going to talk about Devin Booker almost hanging 60 on the Jazz, whether or not the NBA should take more action to curb how fans treat players at games, and Chris Bosh's jersey getting retired by the Heat tonight. But first, let's start in Portland, where the Trailblazers won a big game over the Brooklyn Nets, 148-144, to a really competitive double overtime game. And as thrilling as it was, unfortunately, the headline here is all about Yusuf Nurkic, who, with just over two minutes left in the second overtime, suffered a gruesome injury to what looked like his left ankle. Obviously, we hope the best for Nurkic, who was in the middle of a career year for Portland, and this is a huge blow to the Blazers, Ben. Yeah, to me, it looked like possibly a broken leg. You hate to speculate, but I think it was pretty serious. Um, for the Blazers, it's it's a huge deal. It definitely impacts their playoff ceiling. There's no question about it. Nurkic has been among the league leaders in real plus and minus all season long. They've played great offensively and defensively with him on the court. He's had career highs across the board, points, rebounds, minutes played. Um, he has bounced back from what was a pretty tough first-round series against Anthony Davis last year in a really big-time way. Portland's already dealing with an injury to C.J. McCollum, and now you're basically looking at the Dame Lillard takeover show down there. I mean, he's almost going to have to get into James Harden mode here for the next couple weeks uh, until they can get C.J. McCollum exactly. back. And I think Portland was like a sneaky pick to maybe make a, a Western Conference Finals run. Like they were flirting with that three seed, you know, trying to be in that mix. Uh, you know, certainly they've, they've played Golden State in the playoffs before, and uh, they've been in a great rhythm. I think that they had huge aspirations for what they could do in this year's postseason in terms of getting over the hump. And I hate to say it, I hate to write off a team that's been through, an organization that's been through all sorts of injuries in the past. But to me, this injury changes all of that. Uh, you know, I don't see a way that they make it uh, to the conference finals basically in any scenario now. And I think they're in real serious danger of being you know, a first round upset type team uh, because Lillard's just not going to have sufficient help. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the future of the team, at least immediately, so kind of falls on Ennis Cantor. I imagine that he'll probably take over a bulk of the minutes that Nurkic would have played. And while he might be a, a decent offensive player, obviously there's a, a big gap between the two players defensively. Uh, but it just it just kind of feels a little bit wrong to start speculating about how the rest of the Portland season will go based on what we've just seen. I mean, obviously we're recording this almost immediately after we've seen the injury and it really hasn't settled. We haven't heard anything specifically about the diagnosis or, or, you know, course of treatment and things of that sort, but we assume it's season ending and it likely will take Nurkic out of the rotation for quite some time. I don't know that he'll be able to make his way back anytime soon, but at, at the same time for Portland's playoff hopes, yeah, they certainly do seem to be, taking a significant hit because Nurkic had played such a big part of what they've done lately. I mean, you could make a strong argument that he's probably the second, the team's second best player behind Dame Lillard, even better than CJ McCollum has been. So, um, you know, overall though, it's just, it's tough to watch. It was, I've seen a lot of people complain that maybe officiating might've led to, uh, not necessarily led to the injury, but it, it had officiating been a little bit tighter they might never have gone into a second overtime if that's the case. And obviously Nurkic would never have gotten injured. And, you know, with the regular season winding down and, you know, so much already at stake, 
Uh, it, it's tough. To, it's tougher to see an injury like this happen because, again, Portland was a good team, and and as you said, Ben, um, they look like they might be making a deeper run in the playoffs than a lot of people had originally ex- anticipated for this team. So uh, it's all kind of tough. Uh, on the plus side, I've also seen some people tweet out that at least Nurkic has already been paid, and so. Uh, he's already in the middle of a contract. He's young, and he'll have a good ch- chance at recovery for however long that might take. And uh, this doesn't impact his future as a free agent, which is a, a, you know a concern for any professional athlete. No, that's totally true. I mean, yeah, he's he's in the first year of a four-year, forty-eight million dollar contract, so he's got multiple years. Also, I think from Portland's lineup standpoint, like you know, promoting Canner to the starting center position doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I'm not sure if I would go that direction if I was Terry Stotts. I might try to start. Zach Collins and just see what kind of versatility he can give you keep Canner in that kind of like garbage man second unit center role that he's used to they could also try to dust off Myers Leonard who has kind of had sporadic playing time Um, again you know there aren't really great options here lineup wise if I was Stotts I'd probably go Zach Collins to start and you know see what he can do yeah I agree with that and then look with with this injury Shades of Paul George, Gordon Hayward, a little bit there, but the and it's we've, we're watching it now with Gordon Hayward. It's it could be a full you know almost year of after the injury because he had he he had that in the first play of the regular season. He was out the whole year and he's kind of been rehabbing. He doesn't look quite right even this season with this with the Celtics. It took Paul George even a long time to get back to what he was used to uh, being performance wise. And Nurkic is way bigger than those guys, so it really just it. When you kind of think about what his recovery timetable is going to look like, that could be really tough. Well, here's the thing, too, Wes. I mean, he's spent the last two years just on the most disciplined program to get himself into shape. I mean, weight was a big-time issue for mm-hmm. him earlier in his career in Denver. That's why Portland was able to grab him for basically nothing in that trade. He spent the, the summer after the trade— you know, almost like boot camp. And then he spent last summer doing the exact same thing. And so for him, I think that's another concern too, is like, you're going to be off your feet for a while here. There's basically no question about that. Uh, You're not going to be able to get into, you know, NBA five on five type games to work, keep yourself into that shape for quite a while, as we saw with Gordon Hayward. So managing your body during that process is going to be a, you know, a real challenge for a player of his size and, uh, you know, you wish the best for him. He's learned really good habits here over the last couple of years. He's a great kid. I've spent some time around him. Uh, you know, he likes to talk trash. He's very competitive. He's not afraid of anybody. He's not afraid to mix it up on the court, but he's got a good spirit. And I hope he can keep that through this injury. Let's go to Orlando where the Magic beat the Sixers 119-98. to Yes, Philly was without uh, Ben Simmons, but... Let's do something crazy here. Let's not talk about Philadelphia losing. Let's talk about the Magic. Uh, Nikola Vucevic put up 28 points and 11 rebounds. Evan Fournier scored 24. Michael Carter-Williams, freshly signed to a 10-day contract, chipped in 15 points off the bench. And Orlando has now won five straight, heading into tomorrow night's matchup with the Heat, a game that will be for sole possession of the number 8 seed in the East. David, you got to hand it to the Magic. Uh, What they've done lately has been impressive. They're back in the playoff hunt now, but do you think that they can close the deal? You know, that's a little tricky to speculate. Their, their schedule actually looks pretty favorable. They've got, you know, some tough games against Detroit, Indiana, and Toronto. But, um, you know, they close out three of their last four against the the Knicks, Hawks, and Hornets, who are likely out of the playoff picture. So, you know, I, I think they have a good chance. Um, you know, we assume that between uh, Miami and Orlando, they're fighting for the A seed, but there's a realistic chance. I mean, even Detroit, 
They have a tough schedule. Brooklyn, obviously, after a loss to Portland, nothing's assured there as far as six through eight. So, I mean, you could see either Orlando or Miami or both actually entering into the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference. As far as whether or not Orlando has a good chance of advancing, I mean, they've got the the talent, I think. Um, you know, Steve Clifford has done a phenomenal job as their coach. He's got them playing at a high level defensively, and Nikola Vucevic has been great all year as an all-star. Uh, moreover, um, they seem committed to to this, you know, process of making the playoffs. Now, I, I have some concerns about leadership. I mean, obviously, I think Clifford is the loudest voice in that locker room, and rightfully so. But from a player's perspective, they don't have anybody who necessarily drives that team, who's pushing them there. Vucevic, as much as he is the statistical leader for this team, isn't necessarily the emotional one. Um, and so I'm not sure if they have anybody, if they encounter any kind of difficult moments or close games over that stretch, I, I don't know that they'll have the wherewithal emotionally to find something to put them over the hump. So they're going to have to be convincing. And I'm not sure that I, I'm, I don't think I'm, you know, I don't think I'm going to see anything like that from this team just yet. So um, I, I don't know. I, I don't see it. Uh, they've, you know, been out of the playoffs for six seasons now. So uh, they're due without a doubt. But at the same time, I'm just not sure that they have the kind of presence in the locker room that will help them. Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm Milwaukee as that one seed, I'd probably rather see Orlando than dealing with Miami, just, you know, so you avoid the Spolster factor, you avoid the D-Wade hits a random game winner and to scare yeah. you factor, um, and some of the experience they've got there. Um, for Orlando, I mean, you mentioned the Clifford defense. I think they're ranked number seventh right now in defensive efficiency. They were below average and often bottom five or at least bottom eight every single year since 2012. So that's a real turnaround for them in year one for Clifford. I think if you look at, you know, the front office, they got what they paid for. You know, I mean, he basically turned them into the uh, the Orlando Hornets, right? I mean, that's, that's sure. sort of the, the, the blueprint that he's used, and it's it sort of worked. Um, it's kind of funny to me, though. I feel like Miami's little playoff push here has gotten like 100 times more attention than Orlando's playoff push. They just won five in a row, right? Um, right. And granted, their record's still not that pretty, and, and they're definitely going to go out uh, in, in four or five games if they make the postseason. But this is a sneaky story, and I'm glad you brought this up, Wes, as a topic because uh, yeah, they deserve a little more shine than they've gotten. Yeah, nobody outside of Orlando knows that there's an NBA team there. It, it's the weirdest thing. I don't know how we could go a whole season. I, I saw Michael Carter-Williams playing for them. I texted David. And I was like, when did they get Michael Carter-Williams? When did that happen? I had no idea. Apparently, he just signed a 10-day contract. Looks like he'll probably get another 10-day no, he, he did. He just signed his second one. So he's, hey, he's, hey, he's, hey yeah. David, oh, what's the— In the middle, he probably signed yeah, it in a half time. He deserved it. David, what's the crowd like down there? I mean, are they getting excited for this group, or is it still the same old, same old? It's unfortunately the same old, same old. I mean, especially when Miami's in town, there's a, a big swath of fans that are pro <laughs> heat there. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're excited about the, I think they're more excited about seeing any kind of celebrity players on opposing teams. I don't know that they really kind of identify, you know, frankly, their their favorite player, the crowd has cheered loud, loudest for Alfred Payton in recent seasons. I think they love Aaron Gordon because of the dunks and everything else, but triple double. Yeah, well, especially in March. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I don't know that there's a lot of buzz there. Orlando's more, they're more of a UCF basketball town, you know, especially with them almost knocking off Duke the other night so like i get it like how could you get up about orlando that might make the eighth seed in a week eastern conference when you got ucf right there you know what i mean so, so what I don't you're saying them. is when like the lakers post po, uh poach vucevic with the max deal they just sign uh or they draft taco and plug him right into the hole is that what Done. was that what the game plan is appeal to the local fans it's an upgrade <laughs> 
Wise is the indoor camera that does it all. Wise is packed with premium features that allows you to see everything from anywhere for only 20 bucks. 1080p, full HD, images so clear that you won't miss a thing. Wise's mission is to create amazing smart home products that are available and affordable to everyone. Check on your home anytime with the Wise app live stream. Best of all, Wise provides free rolling 14-day cloud storage and without any subscription. Nothing is too small for Wise Cam to watch because at $20 a camera, you can do anything. Left your kids at home, watch them destroy your house. For whatever reason you need it, Wise can make you wiser. And for just $10 more, Wise Cam Pan gives you 360 degree coverage in under three seconds. Life moves fast, your camera should too. Patrol your home with Pan Scan. Set the camera's patrol route with up to four custom waypoints. Track the action. WiseCam Pan automatically detects tags and tracks motion within its field of view. Keeping up with life in real time has never been this easy. Plus, Wise works with Alexa and is accessible on your mobile phone from anywhere. Go to wise.com slash locked to get the guaranteed lowest price. That's wise.com, W-Y-Z-E slash locked. Pelicans owner Gail Benson, who assumed sole ownership over the Pelicans and the New Orleans Saints after her husband and longtime owner Tom Benson passed away last year, said during the NFL's owners meeting that there is no way she is going to sell the Pelicans after speculation that she could sell or even relocate the team. Meanwhile, Saints GM Mickey Loomis will reportedly go back to focusing on football after overseeing GM duties for both teams and the Pelicans will continue their search to replace Dell Demps at general manager. The Pelicans' lease at the Smoothie King Center runs through 2024, but Benson is adamant that the team won't leave New Orleans. Ben, are you buying what Gail Benson is selling? Well, she's talking herself into a corner if she doesn't mean it. So I, I don't see any huge reason. Like I don't think this is some master manipulating, uh, negotiating tactic. So uh, I like hearing it from her, frankly. I th- I'm sure the fan base appreciates it. They probably feel really you know, beleaguered and... Uh, you know, frustrated and annoyed with how the Anthony Davis thing uh, went. I think it's the right message. She delivered it forcefully. I don't totally believe her that she views them on on the same level as the Saints, but she also has to hire a GM, right? Like, isn't that part of it? And I think you do have to, you know, send a message to the candidates there that you plan to support them, that you guys are going to be, you know, in position for a long, uh, you know, the long term, and that it's a desirable job to take. Uh, you know, when you look around the league, like how many jobs are actually, you know, worse than that Pelicans front office job. There's not many. You know, I think to me it's a, a bottom five job in terms of local market support, uh, the task at hand in terms of trading Davis. You know, it's going to be a multi-year rebuilding effort. It's hard to attract talent there. They've had problems, you know, keeping guys healthy. I mean, the, the list kind of goes on and on, right? So, uh, you know, to me, that's probably part of it here too. It's like you've got to project strength here uh, when you're trying to transition your franchise from the Anthony Davis reality to the post-Anthony Davis reality. I mean, we're we're looking for some kind of confirmation here, but let's be honest. I mean, it's a business, and and she's going to run it as such. And if there was a, a lucrative offer for her to sell the team, I'm sure she would be more than happy to do so. I mean, again, you have to put out there publicly that you're going to be a, a long time part of this organization, or, or rather, in the city, and, and you know that you're going to have some sense of stability. You're going to try and sell that one way or the other, whether it's true or not. I mean, we're we're looking for these kinds of answers from her, but I don't think she's capable of giving 
giving any kind of realistic assertion as far as you know whether or not she plans to move. And I think this is just a, a public statement. And, and again, to Ben's point, you know, trying to lure any kind of front office types that might be interested in the job. And, and so I just I don't trust it. But it doesn't matter one way or the other. I mean, again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she keeps the team there. But it wouldn't surprise me either if she sells it. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the GM job because there's already rumors out there floating around. Danny Ferry as as a possibility, who was of course the interim there. Maybe he gets the the long term gig. David Griffin, who's been working as an NBA TV analyst, a really cush job for him. And you'd think that Griffin at this point is probably in a position of power where you know it, the Pelicans probably won't be the only job offered to him if they do indeed offer it to him. But Ben, do you think that it, like a, a you mentioned that the Pelicans wouldn't be a, a very enticing offer, but if you're Danny Ferry or David Griffin, do you think those are realistic options for them? Well, I mean, Danny Ferry is because he's already there, right? I mean, David Griffin, if I'm him, I'm right. just waiting for Rob Polinka to get blown up, frankly. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I think that that's what I mean about the desirability of that job. Like David Griffin, you know, if you're, what, like a top three candidate on the market in terms of GMs, like I think you're going to be able to safely pass on that and, and wait for a, you know, a situation that has – just better fundamentals. You know, I think that, uh, you know, Gail Benson has has to do some selling here, right? Like when you're looking at some of these jobs, you know, whether it's like Steve Ballmer or the Warriors owners, like the gap between guys who are so consumed by basketball, it's all they care about and they have billions to invest in the organization and they don't mind hiring dozens of people like Ballmer with the Clippers. His basketball operations staff is now 68 people, <laughs> like including the medical staff. I mean, that's just a gigantic group. Uh, you know, I, I'm tell, I don't know how many are in the Pelicans organization, but it's not 68. And so you start to feel like, okay, are you bringing a knife to a gunfight in some of these scenarios? And that's why, you know, Gail Benson kind of really has to prove her commitment here, like she said, publicly, but also behind closed doors, too. She has to be a part of the uh, the meetings. You can't just leave it to an executive search firm to try to come up with uh, your guy and uh, you know, do it that way. You've got to be actively involved in and making the case to your candidates about why you are fully committed to the Pelicans. Because what we've seen from that organization over the last 10 years has been, you know, something less than total commitment from ownership, frankly. Yeah, I don't know how. And I mean, on one hand, like, yeah, you've you've got the Anthony Davis chip there. And, and you you almost get like if you're able to move Anthony Davis for basically young pieces or draft picks, you're, you're kind of buying yourself as a GM at least a couple of years as a wait and see. Um, but other than that, like you probably, you're right. You do want to go to a good situation. It sounds like Mickey Loomis is going to be out of the picture, but he's going to be involved in the hiring process here. I don't completely buy that. He's going to be completely out of the picture. So like, you'd really like, if you're a GM, you'd want to sort out that whole situation. So that, that's, that's kind of the, there's some weird stuff going on there. And so uh, if they get David Griffin or it, that would be, I guess a home run for them. But like, like you said, maybe the Lakers job opens up. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but let's move on to this interview with uh, Yahoo Sports' Chris Haynes, uh, in which DeMarcus Cousins opened up about a few things uh, that fans at games have said to him, including racial slurs. This comes on the heels of that incident between Russell Westbrook and that fan in Utah who was subsequently banned by the Jazz. Cousins said, quote, Of course we want the fan experience to be as amazing as possible and we want them to enjoy NBA games and feel like they can interact and all of that. But there's a line that shouldn't be crossed, and it gets crossed often, end quote. Cousins added that he thinks uh, the NBA can do more. David, should the NBA be doing more? Absolutely. I mean, I think the the Westbrook incident kind of highlighted a lot of that, that, you know, uh, arena staff kind of watched harmlessly as a fan berated him and, and used these kinds of, you know, slurs 
at Westbrook. And I guess that's somewhat subjective, uh, but not really. I mean, I think you can assume that they're antagonizing these players. And I don't think, again, as you said, there's a line that they shouldn't cross. And so when you run these arenas, when you run these teams, you absolutely have the power. Um, you know, you, you have a, an advisory at the back of your ticket that kind of warns you when you enter the arena that you should, you know, ha- adhere to a code of conduct. But that doesn't mean that you necessarily do. And so the best way of, of ensuring that you do is to have security in place uh, and make sure that you have enough personnel to deal with these people and make these kinds of moves public, uh, make public statements about them, uh, you know, escort fans that are unruly and break this code of co- uh, conduct, uh, uh, escort them out uh, and, and make sure that they're banned for, for a, a prolonged period of time in order to protect the players. Because look, as a society, we should be policing each other. Um, fans around these people that are particularly belligerent should keep them in place, but that's not realistic. Uh, you kind of watch passively, and you get caught up in the emotions maybe, and you're, you're happy to go along with it. You might even share in some of these racist you know, feelings, but at the same time, um, a- as an organization, you should be able to dictate what kind of fans represent you, your city, and your team. And so absolutely, you should be able to kick these fans out, ban them for life, and, and maybe even find them. You know, you have to make, the, you have to put something in place there to make it final, to make it powerful, or else fans are going to continue to go in there and abuse these players verbally. And they don't, they don't have the right to do so. As people, they shouldn't do this kind of stuff. Like, if you want to get pissed off at Russell Westbrook because he's surly and angry and dunks all over your players, that's one thing. But to, to, to insult him this way, to insult DeMarcus Cousins, if he's right and the things that he's heard, there's no there's no excuse for that. And and owners should absolutely, and the league should absolutely do something to prevent this from happening. Yeah, I think the, the part that stuck out to me was Cousins saying he had reported hearing these things to the NBA, and it mm-hmm. sounded like he didn't necessarily uh, feel like he had gotten a resolution on it. And I think going forward, that's the lesson for the NBA here is, right? You're establishing the zero tolerance policy. You're making sure that these interactions are avoided whenever possible. You're training your security on it. You've stressed it to all your teams, all of your arena staffs to, you know, be proactive in defusing these kinds of situations. They may still happen. They're not going to happen every single game, but there could be these kinds of incidents that are ugly and unfortunate, right? And the people who are going to know for sure are the ones who are being targeted, right? Because they're going to be the ones, uh, you know, hearing these words directed right at them and capable of pointing out who the fans are. I think going forward, the least the NBA can do is establish a system for basically reporting this, whether it's directly to the arena people or to the NBA or to whatever else. And that should trigger automatically an investigation, uh, especially if there's, you know, racist language or otherwise, you know, like excessive language being directed towards players. There should never be a situation where a player feels like, his complaints were not heard. And that's on the league office. And I think they can clean that up. And I think they should clean that up. And I think it's good on DeMarcus Cousins for, you know, raising this issue because it does support what Westbrook was saying. And, you know, it's one thing uh, for Westbrook's teammates to stand up for him. It's another thing for Jazz uh, players to kind of stand up for his right to, you know, to, to say what happened to him and, and, you know, to call for the fans to be better. But, I think it takes a lot of courage for players to, you know, put their names on it to say, I've been targeted. Here was my experience. Here's what I'd like to see. And I really hope Adam Silver and his staff is listening. And the unfortunate thing about all of this is the kind of all the solutions are very reactive. There's not I don't know if there's a proactive way to basically just stop fans from doing dumb stuff and saying like hurtful things like this. Like I don't like you can't just stop it from ever happening, but 
we're right. Like the NBA, the front office needs to be able to listen to players when it's happening. They need to take these issues seriously. And yeah, maybe there is a system in place that they can implement. But even the players too, like we saw the issue with Westbrook and then DeMarcus Cousins, who has been fined for yelling back at fans and flipping them off and doing things like that. Like the the players also have to be a little bit better and not just get involved with it. Like I know that it's hard in, in, in the in the moment, but it'll just help their case if they don't just stoop down to their level, right? They're at a place of business for them. All the fans are basically just drinking beer and partying. Like, it's kind of a weird juxtaposition. Like, there's just all these, like, drunk guys yelling at you while you're trying to do your job. And so I know it's hard for the players, but there is a level of, I guess they are going to have to be held to a higher standard and, again, not stoop down to that level. And, look, if you're Westbrook, if you're Cousins or something like that, maybe you could tell somebody on the staff of your team, like, hey, can you tell the security guard that that, that guy's being a jerk? Um, but they do that. And, and saying these sort of things. No, and you're right. And, like, in that, but they have to do that without also, like, but that sounds kind of unfair. Of I mean, it. I don't mean to get into a debate here, but that sounds kind of unfair to expect players to kind of just... Not it is unfair. Not necessarily sit there and take it, but to uh, you know, ask them to be held to a higher standard. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, these fans, just because they have either money or privilege or alcohol, don't have the right to engage pl- uh, f- players like that. They, they shouldn't. I mean, and there's no way around it. And so to expect players to not retaliate, to me, sounds absolutely ludicrous. Like, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with DeMarcus Cousins going in there and punching somebody's lights out oh, if they geez. use the kind of terminology. Oh, I, I swear to God, I don't see I don't see a problem with it. I know the the league wouldn't want it, but I don't see any problem with it. I mean, why not defend yourself if the if the fan thinks that they have the right to do so because they have some kind of safety net to prevent them and they can just you know yell at players like that. Why not violate that safety net and, re- and have them realize that that's not something that they should be able yeah, to do? I, I think we could agree that it's not in the best interest of anyone for there to be, you know, malice in the palace style brawls here, especially even if fans are completely in the wrong and provoking it. I think what we need to focus on, hopefully, is educating players about reporting it, educating the security about handling it. Uh, you know, completely, uh, you know, immediately without any second guessing, diffusing the situation and then having a reporting procedure if anything doesn't go right to fix the problems in the future. To me, a lifetime ban from an arena is a very effective deterrent. You will think twice about how you, you know, behave Mm -hmm. if that becomes a regular thing. If you realize that the no tolerance policy means you never get to see your team play basketball in your home arena again, uh, I think now that the dust has settled, I'll bet you that guy in Utah feels pretty dumb. You know, I bet you he's pretty upset that, and he's maybe he's a little bitter and he's upset at the Jazz for singling him out and all of that. But part of him is like, man, I really wish I could go watch a Jazz game, and I'm not going to be able to do it. And I think that's where we need to steer this thing, not towards you know Mike Tyson punch out. You know that that to me is not effective either for the league in the best interest of the players and their perception. I think anytime you get into a violent situation, that's only going to make it worse, right? If DeMarcus Cousins was to punch a fan, I think that would be the worst thing that could happen for his career, um, even if he was fully justified, like you're saying, in in taking that action. And we got to move on here, but uh, fans listening, also, if you see something, say something. You don't have to yell at the the belligerent person next to you that's screaming at things. Tell an usher, tell a security guard that's nearby. But our Locked On Line of the Night is next after this break. Before we get to our Locked On line of the night, let's check in on the other scores uh, from Monday. Just two other games that we haven't talked about. Paul George and Russell Westbrook combined to make just 16 of their combined 49 shots. While Bruno Caboclo set a new uh, career high with 24 points to lead the Grizzlies to a 115-103 to win over the Thunder. And in Utah, Devin Booker scored 59 points, but it wasn't enough as the Suns failed uh, fall to the Jazz 
125 to 92. In the final seconds, the Jazz intentionally fouled the Suns to make sure that Booker couldn't get the ball and go for 60. Ben, do you approve of this pettiness? Uh, absolutely, from the Jazz side. I mean, I think the Suns were doing the same thing they did a couple years ago, kind of fouling to try to stop the clock and help him run up the score. They put him back in the game with a couple minutes to go. I mean, I thought the Suns were better than this by this point. Clearly not. Um, and they went back to their same little, you know, favorite little trick of just run the score up for Booker and try to go viral. At what point is he too old for this, right? Because when he was 20, he got 70. I think a lot of people gave him a pass. I wasn't one of those people. Now he's 22, he gets 59. I still think a lot of people are giving him a pass, mostly because people don't watch the Suns games and because he didn't get up to like the 70 territory where everyone starts to tune in and it turns into the biggest story of the day. Is he still going to be doing this when he's 24, 26? I mean, how long are they going to be losing games by 30 points and still doing everything they possibly can to... uh pad his stats and how long is he going to think that that's a cool thing to do frankly uh, if he wants to be an all-star level player he should you know realize that when they're down by that much with three minutes to go in the NBA all-stars don't go back in the game and he shouldn't be you know trying to get himself back in there so according to Bleacher Report uh, Booker's 59 points is the most points scored in a 30 plus point loss in NBA history so there's that and in that 70 point game the Suns lost by 10 to the Boston Celtics. So doesn't necessarily lead to winning. Um, but let's go to our locked on line of the night because Booker's line is still part of it. 59 points on 9 of 13, uh, 34 from the field. 16 of 17 from the free throw line. Also had four assists in that loss. Also joining him as candidates, Nikola Vucevic, 28 points, 11 rebounds, four assists in 29 minutes in the Magic's win over the Sixers. Bruno Caboclo, like I said, 24 points, 11 rebounds, two assists, one steal, one block all in 35 minutes in the Grizzlies' win. And then Yusuf Nurkic, before he went down, was playing a hell of a game. 32 points, 16 rebounds, 5 assists, 4 blocks, 2 steals, all in 34 minutes, and the Blazers got the win. David, who gets your locked on line of the night? I'm, I'm tempted to go with Vucevic just because of what was at stake in the game and, and the fact that he was going up against Joel Embiid. But, uh, you know, I got to go with Nurkic, uh, you know, not just because he was injured, but because it was a hell of a performance there against a really good team and a good defensive center in Jared Allen. So uh, I'll go with Nurkic as far as the line of the night. Yeah, you stole my thunder, guys. I was going to give it to him as sort of an honorary hat tip in, in honor of a great season and, uh, you know, a great guy. But, uh, you know, he went out on top, put it that way. Nurkic gets it. Uh, big game tonight in Miami is the Heat and Magic play for possession of the eighth seed in the East. Chris Bosh will have his jersey retired by the Heat during halftime. David Bosh's career came to an end too soon. We know that. But what to you stands out from his time in the NBA? Well, that's a tough question to answer because there's a lot to break down with Chris's impact. I think for most people, it'll probably be the fact that he kind of you know, changed the game as far as his dynamic ability at the center position uh, kind of helped usher in this wave of positionless basketball, help space the floor as a center, uh, and, and just really change the, how teams handle other uh, opponents defensively. And he, he was capable of so much, and yet he was so underrated, I think, from, from most fans because of his impact. He didn't put up the same gaudy numbers that either LeBron James or Dwayne Wade or other All-Stars did, uh, but he had a tremendous impact on his team in winning championships and across the league. Uh, but for me, I, I think one of the things that we've seen a lot lately as we kind of talk about his jersey being retired is is just his humanity uh the fact that he always seemed to kind of go against the grain 
to always do his own thing, to always kind of humanize the sport and, and kind of remind everybody that he was an athlete, but a person first and foremost. Um, the fact that he had these kind of versatile interests and, and things off the court that kind of drove him and shaped him and, and kind of, to me anyway, ingratiated himself to, as far as, uh, you know, what what kind of a person he was. And, and we got a chance to know him a little bit more because he wasn't embarrassed or ashamed or, or you know, trying to hide the kind of person that he is. And, and to me, that's always what I really appreciate most about Chris. Fortunately, never got a chance to talk with him, but seeing enough of him in interviews and things of that sort, I can always appreciate the kind of person he was as well as the player that he was. Yeah, well said. I think also he took a lot of heat all over these years. You know, he's called soft. Why is he shooting jumpers? You know, you know, he's at the third wheel, all this stuff. I mean, he took a lot of uh, negative criticism, especially once he went to Miami um, because of the nature of his game. And I feel like, you know, he took that heat. So guys after him, you know, didn't have to hear it. You know, I, I think he played a very pivotal role in changing, mm-hmm. you know, how the center, you know, that five out center, you know, by the time he was, uh, you know, stepping out to shooting three pointers kind of even in later in his run, uh, where that's no longer kind of stigmatized like it was there for for him for a while. And he kept his good humor, his personality that you're describing through a lot of uh, intense backlash. And, and I think that's what I'll remember him is sort of the stoic nature of uh, how he handled himself under massive scrutiny uh, with the Heatles. And, you know, I really, I kind of want to remember his career and, and celebrate his career, but it really kind of, you know, he helped usher in this small ball stretch five era of basketball. And you can just, he would be so good in today's NBA. And I know he just turned 35 and he'd be on the older side, but like his game would have aged really well. He was such a good defender. He was the linchpin of that that uh, on-a-rope defense that kind of made those 2013 Heat Spurs finals so uh, incredibly watchable, right? Like That was one of the best, most well-played final series we had ever seen because not only were both teams so dynamic offensively, but they were both so good defensively, and Bosch was literally the center of the entire thing. And so I, I just remember how much uh, he, he changed. He worked so hard defensively. Remember when he'd, you know, he'd go out and he'd blitz those ball handlers three steps outside the three-point line, then he's sprinting back to recover? How many guys could do that? It's not a lot. It's a very short list. And then he'd still be able to do that. Like, it would be perfect in today's game. And so uh, it's unfortunate that his career ended too soon with those blood clot issues. But uh, it'd be really cool to see. The, the scene uh, in Miami at American Airlines Arena. Heat play the Magic tonight in a game that's really important for that eighth seed, but also it'll be fun um, when they celebrate Bosch and, and put that jersey into the rafters right next to Dan Marino and Michael Jordan. Make sure to follow at Locked on NBA Net on Twitter for all of the Locked on local experts on one easy-to-use feed. And check out all of your favorite team's podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network. And don't forget to subscribe to Locked On NBA on your favorite podcast platform. Rate, review, and say nice things about us. Thanks to Ben Golliver. Make sure to check out his work over at the Washington Post. David Rockets and Bucks tonight on TNT. MVP candidate showdown. Who do you think comes out on top? Uh, both teams playing so well. Houston winners of eight of their last ten. Obviously, James Harden playing at an MVP level. But I've got to give Bucks the advantage playing at home. I think they come out on top despite their recent injuries.